can just see the memo you're writing. Hey, look, in spite of all of those things, I still think it's a good idea to go work this gang. <laughs> exactly. So it, 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 I will say the, the, uh, the sack of Boston was a huge supporter. Um, and he really had a lot of trust in us and that we knew what we were doing and that we knew when enough would be enough. Um, and so, you know, a little bit of time went by, we weren't sure where it was going to go. Um, and then an opportunity came to go down there as a hang around. And, um, and so, you know, it was talked about amongst the agency, like, okay, how, how, you know, are we going to do this? And it was agreed upon that we were going to do it and go down. (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) and here's the fun part too. I want you to tell me about the conversation you had with your wife to say, oh no, look, I think this is a good idea. I think we should go forward with this. Yeah, and here, here's the problem. I can't bullshit her because she can go on and read the damn reports. You know, so there's no there's no sugarcoating any of this. I'm not saying she would do that, but I wasn't. You know, it was like here's here's yeah because I had to explain why it wasn't going to New York the next day or whatever. Um, and yeah, it didn't go over well. It was yeah, you, uh, you, you know you fucking moron. You know you've got kids. Um, you know all that stuff. And and um, okay, but we well- did. That's what I'm saying. We know it. You know, we know you went forward with it because there's a book about this. So, <laughs> how many beers did you have to have before you went? Fuck it, hold my beer. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it had been the next day, it may have been like, oh no. But you know, over time, it was like maybe we could still make something out of this. You know, let's let's get down. And of course, you're always looking at like I haven't done anything yet, right? It's not like I've bought you know machine guns off these guys and they're all going. To, I haven't done anything yet, so there's no reason for him to kill me. It's just like, Hey, let's get down and see what happens. And, um, and you know, we had a pretty tight cover team. It, so w- the first time I went down there, um, it, it was going to be over, uh, St. Patty's day or, or not actually St. Patty's day, but when there was going to be this parade and, you know, we had a big cover team down there and they, and they could hide cause you get, you know, what better cover for a bunch of cops to go drinking in a crowd of people, you know, that works out really well for everyone. Cover team's happy. You know, we've got plenty of people down there. Everybody's happy. Um, so anyway, so, um, but the, the real issue was, um, so I had to go out and meet Bob and, and, and I told, and so he lived out in Western Mass. And so I was going to meet him. I was taking my piece of shit truck out there and then we were jumping his go down. Um, and so then it ended up switching over to bikes, but it, when I met at his, I told the cover team, like, listen, I don't need anybody up here. I've dealt with Bob a bunch of times. Like I'll just meet you guys in New York. And so they could get a head start and get down there. Um, I show up at Bob's and, and Bob had had some close calls. Um, and it all sudden dawned on me, you know, what, after what happened with Charlie, uh, with, uh, Billy, like, and I really think with Billy, it was it, like, it was an eye open to him. Like he thought he was in deep shit because he had brought Billy down there in the first place in that, you know, one more screw up and it was coming back on him. And so I think with, um, with me, it was like, all right, I got to figure out what this guy's about. And, um, and I, and I didn't mention the first party I went to, um, there was an opportunity, you know, uh, to simulate using drugs and, uh, it's a risky thing. Cause if anyone, and I, people always ask, how do you do it? And I, you know, I don't share, I mean, you guys know, but I don't share the technique, but the bottom line is if you're staring at somebody, you're going to know that they're simulating. And, uh, and I always say to, to folks, like if you're in a bar, the three of us in a bar and we're drinking beers and my beer's half gone, you didn't see the liquid cross my lips and go into my gut. You know, you're just assuming that I drank it. And it's the same thing. If you're in a casual environment, not a test environment, it's pretty easy to, to 
do that and get away with it. It adds a little bit of credibility, like, oh, this guy can't be a cop, he's using drugs or what have you. Um, so that had happened at that, that first party, and I and I was a firm believer. I, I very rarely did that, but with this group, I was like, all right, this will give me some street cred with them. Uh, but I was going to pick and choose, and I had already had part of my backstory. It was like, listen, my old lady, um, she had a friend of hers OD, so like, you know, I, I'm very, you know, rarely do I do it, but when I do it, I do it, you know, that kind of thing. Anyhow, show up at his house, and he meets me at the house, and he's got this set of brass knuckles on, but it's it's like brass knuckles, but it has a blade that sticks out. Like six inches, maybe not six, maybe between four and six inches. Oh, well, you know, so guys like are bad with <laughs> to every guy that's six inches, right? So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, so he's he's got this thing on, and he meets me at the door, and he's like, "Before we go anywhere, come on in here." So we go in, and he's like, and, and I, I crashed at his place before, whatever. I'd never been anywhere but the first floor. But he's like, "Come on up to my room," and so I'm like. All right. And also his old lady and his kid weren't there, which is rare. And so go up there, get in the room. And um, he said, before we go anywhere, we're each doing a lot. So I'm like, oh, fuck. And I don't have a gun on me because prospects hang around. Nobody can you know, carry a gun. Um, and so, and I don't have a cover team. So, um, so we're there. And so he pours out um, two honking lines of Coke on a desk and he's got, a, a uh, monitor, a computer on the desk as well. And a couple other things on there. So he, you know, chops it up half ass. you know, he's got his line, he does his line and, um, and he's, yeah, enjoying all that. Uh, then he hands me the straw and it's like, ah, oh, fuck man, there's no way there's, I'm, and all I'm thinking is I'm just going to punch this motherfucker in the face and run downstairs and get the hell out of there. Cause there's just no way, there's no way this is going to work. Uh, but he's got this monitor and it's like this old piece of shit computer on his desk. And uh, so I'm like, to him, I'm like, dude, this shit's all lumpy, man. Uh, give me a card. So he's got a card on it. This is like a desk, but there's a dresser, you know, like a higher dresser to the right. So he gives me a card. And so I chop it up and I, as I'm doing it, I'm bringing it close to the edge, which, you know, makes it a little bit easier. And, um, and then as, as he, so as we're standing there and he's staring at me, the computer starts doing this fucking weird swirly whatever. And he starts cursing. He's like, motherfucker. And he smacks smacking the computer. Cause it, obviously this has happened before, whatever the hell it was, it was, it was doing. But as he, do, as he does that, I go and do my simulation. And as he turns back, it's gone. And he's like, that's it. That's it. We're good to go. Blah, blah. And it was like, holy shit by the great. And again, it was dumb luck. This computer doesn't fuck up and he loses his attention and they will be, plenty of other dumb luck stories that make this one look like nothing. Um, but well, good he, for you. It was a windows machine. Cause if it had been a Mac, you'd been screwed. Cause they don't do that kind of shit. Yeah. Macs just work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank, so anyways, you can thank Bill Gates for saving your ass on that one, pal. Yeah, exactly. And, in, 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 you know, lucky, you know, lucky for me, he's a cheap prick. So the fact that he put out a big line should have been a telltale sign to me right there. This isn't going to go well. Because then on the way down, uh, I'm driving his car and he's got a CD, uh, you know, case, and he's putting out. He's half-assed, like, "Hey, bro, you want some of this?" Of course, these are minuscule lines, like maybe like freaking two kernels. And I'm like, "No, nah, no, nah, man, I'm driving. I'm good." You know, he didn't give a fuck. He didn't want me to take it. He was like, "You prove what you had to prove. Now it's my coke. I need enough to get me through the weekend." You know, that's that. So we blaze down there, and and um, we get down there pretty late and we show up at Roblox house and Roblox at the time was the Sergeant arms for the pagan long Island chapter. This guy is 
a biker's biker. Um, he drank a little, very rarely he would drink, but he would have a couple beers here and it never, never saw him do a drug at all. Uh, he was all about the biker world, the, everything biker, um, and took the shit really serious. So there's a party at his house, a bunch of dudes there hanging out. Eventually it's a two bedroom kind of ranch that he was renting. And, um, eventually everyone kind of clears out and all that's left is me, him and Boston Bob. So of course he's got his room. He gives Boston Bob the other room and I'm the newbie who hasn't said a fucking word to the entire night. He, I, I catch him staring at me, but he didn't say a word. Um, and he basically is like, um, you know, Hey, uh, you can sleep in the floor over there in the living room. So not even the couch. It was a couch there, but no, I didn't get the couch. I had to be on the floor. Um, so this guy goes probably six to wait, wait a minute. Of- You're sleeping on the floor. Yeah. In a biker house. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Dude, you, yeah, <laughs> there's not enough shots in the world to save you from shit like that. No, and, and the worst thing is, so this guy's about six two, goes all of four fifty. He is a giant human being, and he's not he's not somebody who's hitting goals, Jim either. I mean, he's just a big fat dude. Um, but anyway, so he's I I swear he didn't sleep the whole night. But I'm laying on the floor, and he was on patrol, and he would like. Walk down the hall, and, and again, this is not a big house. The hall went right by the living room, r- really like two feet from my head. And he would go by, and the the floorboards would sink because he's so heavy. Um, and he does he did this all night. And then there would be times he would just stand over me. Now I'm pretending I'm asleep, but he's standing over me, and then he continues on his walks. So I don't know what the fuck he was doing. I don't know if it was an intimidation thing. I don't know what he was doing, but anyways, it, it was like, okay, you know, uh, the night goes by, I get up, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to grab a coffee or anything, bro. He's, it, I know we had coffee in the house, but he wasn't going to give me any. And I went out and, and yeah, that was my first night of, of hanging out with the pagans. You're lucky they didn't pee all over you, but, but I want to go back to, uh, real quickly, just close off on that loop. The one where you said, Billy, they dropped him off, you know, with the, um, how did, did that, how did that not come back on him? How did that play out to where he, you know, he was concerned that he was going to get, you know, held accountable for it. How did he explain the fact that he didn't do what he was supposed to do? And instead he dropped Spilly off at the ER. It's a great question. In between, um, well, he, he said, he goes, listen, I couldn't stay down there because everyone knew I left with him and it would all come back on me. And they got that. Like they're not idiots. They were pissed that he enlisted. I think they would have rather like him having that conversation with him instead of just getting on the road and going. Um, but the fact is that they had said to him, because some time had gone between when that happened and when we actually went down again. And they had told him, they said, Hey, we're good with you. Um, you know, we don't hold you responsible for it. Like he had, he had, and he had talked to several different pagans to make sure that was true, uh, before we went down there, but he was nervous still about it. And I think it's one of the reasons he pushed so hard for me to go is he's like, Hey, I want somebody on my side. Um, if you know, if the shit hits a fan down mm-hmm. there. Hey, real quick. Um, I sent a text message to our mutual contact yeah <laughs> he goes hi handsome how are you ken is good people you doing okay i said we have to catch up yeah be nice to ken he's good people too so your boss <laughs> likes you he's a good egg he is a good egg man he's a good human being uh just just fun stuff but yeah so how far you, from a time's perspective how far are you into this now has this been a month has this been a week has this been you know where are you at we're closing in um, uh, a couple months now at this point because you know we had all the stuff with the devil's disciples, all the stuff back and forth. We're going, we're not going, whatever. So, we're, but after we're probably, two months, what do you have? What do you have that you could take to court and charge somebody with? Not a whole lot. Yeah, so, are some, you getting any heat? The reason I'm asking, are you getting heat, any heat from your supervisors or the brass going? Are we making a case here? What's going on? Or do they realize this takes time? 
Now they were good. Um, and they knew like the, the, the introductions and the interaction was increasing. And so they knew it was on the right path. And for the first half of this investigation, the, the management was in a hundred percent support and, and were terrific. Uh, it goes South when the case gets reassigned later on. But, um, now at this phase of it, it's all about, Hey, let's do this, you know, stay safe, that kind of thing. So no, nothing but support. <laughs> yeah, but but with you, you must have some sleepless nights at this point, right? Going, you know, what point? When does the when does the worry about your backstory, the other stuff, start creeping in? I mean, kind of so far, it just seems like dating, right? You're not really getting serious. Yeah, that's exactly. And there is no back. I mean, there is backstory. Like I've put it together, but they don't know it, so I don't have anything to worry about. They did go, like I said, they went through my bikes. I had a string across. I they broken it when they got in there. I knew they were looking at my uh, you know identity and all that kind of stuff. But I hadn't laid anything out yet, um, and so I wasn't super concerned about it. But it, it, you know, I can jump forward not not by much. But I'd gone down a couple times, and and I had gotten invited to the chapter president's first communion for one of his kids. And um, so part of my backstory, and we haven't really talked about this. I know it's. it's oh, sorry. This sounds like what an episode of The Sopranos too. We just whacked the guy. Now we're going to communion. Everybody, yeah. Go. Let's go see Father Mulcahy, and we're all going to get absolved of our sins. And, it, and it, honestly, that's exactly it. It was just so hypocritical. But, anyways, part of my backstory is my job is I worked in a garage, and um, and I was a mechanic, and I had that backstopped, you know, where there was a garage, my photo was up, all that stuff was there. But were uh, you a mechanic? <clears throat> um, no, no, uh, I was not. I knew a little bit I could tinker around with some stuff. I did purposely learn a couple of things on bikes. Um, you know, m- mainly I could actually, like, fix a choke and do some things on that that came in handy later on. But... Um, and then also part of my backstory was that I was poaching lobsters um, from traps, which anybody from New England will tell you that is one dangerous fucking job. You go out poaching lobsters, you could fully expect to get shot if you get caught because the lobstermen take that shit serious. But it was a criminal act, right? So it was like, hey, yeah, I do criminal stuff. And then also I was doing some collections for my boss who was, um, you know, he's loaning money out and I would do collections for him. So that was my backstory and it in in i already told you about my felony convictions and so forth so heading down there um and the fact you couldn't get insurance because of all of your damn uh yeah i had to walk because i couldn't get any insurance for a vehicle um but it so i'm I'm heading down so i get invited down to this thing so um so again i'm i'm a lobsterman right i'm I'm stealing lobsters so i was like hey i'm gonna bring down a dozen lobsters to this event and um and then a a buddy of mine who actually i couldn't tell you how to open a fucking lobster trap but um, I had caught lobsters like diving, like I, I could catch them, but I never like did any trap work. But anyways, this buddy of mine was a lobsterman. Uh, it said, Hey, you can hypnotize lobsters. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I'm thinking like with one of these watches, you know, you're t- going back and forth, but no, if you look into them, my eyes, yeah, exactly. You can get them to tell you anything, but you rub behind their eyes and it puts them into like this hypnotic state. And, um, you can actually get them to do headstands like the, the main lobsters, one with big claws and you can get them to do headstands and they'll stay in that state for a fair amount of time. And then they eventually won't and they'll tip over. But so I practice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to fact check this one. <laughs> Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. I, we'll top everything you up. You're a magician. If you buy, if you buy the lobsters and the beer, I'll come over and hypnotize them. But so you, you can get them in this catatonic state. So 
Um, so we head down there with lobsters and, um, I, I get a couple of them doing headstands on the bar and I, that was it. I was a lobster man. You could have told every pagan in the world that this guy wouldn't even know how to open a lobster to eat it. Cause I'm not, I don't like lobster. Um, and they wouldn't have believed you. They're like, no, that guy is a lobster man just because I could freaking stack them up on a, on a bar. (laughs) So anyways, so we're down at this event and, um, and at some point, um, JR pulls me out and says, hey, let's talk out in the front lawn. And he's got Roblox with him. So JR is the chapter president, Roblox Sergeant Arms. And uh, he's like, hey, um, are you interested in doing this thing? And, um, and you know, I'm not playing hard to get. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. But, I, you know, I also you know, got a lot going on. And, you know, I don't want to be like, yeah, 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 let me do it. And so they're like, hey, we'd love to have you. Um, you know, we really need you. Here's what's going on down here. They're out, they were outnumbered by the Hells Angels. They needed more folks. And the promise was that you'd have to come down here and start with this chapter, but then we'd break it off and, and start a chapter up in Boston. You could, you know, be the guy to do that. Or one of those guys. So anyhow, so I eventually agree. Well, they actually, they call the national vice president cause they got to get his green light. Uh, and they explained to him the whole thing and they'd already had a conversation with him. I learned later, but he green lights it. And, um, and so that was it. I was, they're like, okay, you're, you know, you want to start right now? I'm like, not really. Um, they're like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll start your prospecting phase tomorrow. Um, and so I ultimately had to move to Long Island and, and start my, uh, my prospecting phase with Peg. So that was it. We were off to the races, you know, here I am now a prospect. Um, and it's all because of your ability to hypnotize lobsters. That and open a water line on a frozen hot water heater. Again, it comes down. I'm to sorry, like I just don't have goofy. the respect I had for gangs anymore. If that's all it takes <laughs> to get into an outlaw motorcycle gang, man. Listen, that's it. That's all it takes. But you know what? It, it honestly is. It, it goes back to what I was saying before. It's your backstory. You know, it's what you're bringing to the table and how real are you in it. And like, um, you know, coming in and saying, Hey, yeah, you know, I'm a gun dealer, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're the new guy. Nobody's ever met you before now. else, and you trafficking guns. Yeah, probably not. Uh, but if you're, you steal lobsters, like, Hey, you're a criminal, you know? And, and we use some of the collections and stuff in, in street theater later on. That was, that was important to this case. So yeah. So after the races, but now the, the case is going to be moving down to New York and, and ultimately I'm going to have to live in New York, um, and, and going through my prospecting phase. And we're trying to make it so we could go back and forth. Uh, but one of the first events I went to, um, there was, uh, some other club members there and, um, this one mother club member, white bear, um, whose pictures in the book, he, um, he was walking around and he saw, uh, you know, my bike in, in Boston, Bob's bike and, and they were registered in mass. And he's like, who, who the fuck is here from mass? And this freaking like 400 bikers here. And he happened to pick out these two tags. And so they told him and he's like, fuck that. They want to be pagans. They need to live down here and they need to be registered. Everything needs to be down here. So that ended, you know, any hope of being able to go back and forth. Um, so ultimately moved, packed up, moved to, uh, to New York and started my prospecting phase. How, how, how big of a drive was that in terms of, uh, hours? I mean, cause miles doesn't really make a difference when you're in that area, right? It's all about how, how many hours does it take you to get there? How, how long of a trip would that have been? I mean, roughly, it depends, you know, it depends, but roughly four hours, um, it would take you, but on a bike, yeah, that's a long time. Uh, although comparatively speaking, you know, later on when you hear about some mandatories, it's, it's not, but yeah, so it, it's a bit, you know, you're not going home for dinner. Um, you know, you're not, you're living down there and more importantly, they're keeping tabs on you. 
um, because they can, because you're going to be living right near them. And now as a prospect, you're beholden to them any minute they call you. So as a prospect, um, just get a little bit into that. So before you, you know, as you become a prospect, you have to go in, you have to fill out this application and then they ask you 8 million, uh, questions. And then they want to see a driver's license. They want to see if, you know, if, if your father is dead, then they want a death certificate. Like, you know, they check your shit and they tell you there's a polygraph coming. There's all sorts of different things that are tied to it. And so you go through that process. Um, they ask you if you've, you know, right on the application, have you been convicted of felony and, and for what? And, um, and so I, I shared that with them, you know, what I was telling you already. And that becomes crucial because I get locked up later on. And, um, and that becomes crucial to my backs, you know, my backstory and, and hopefully hoping that you can listen, anybody can say anything. Right. But if like what happened to me happens, then you better have that stuff squared away because it's going to come out and they're going to be able to see it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, well, especially if a trouble. cop stops you and runs their name, what they call, they'll run you through NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, and then run you through Triple I, the Interstate Identification Interstate Ident interstate identification index and that's where they start seeing your criminal history your criminal records and so some cop if they get a hold of your id your <laughs> your felony is for beating up a cop yeah and and so um you know this can be out of order but it, it it aligns with this so i ultimately get arrested in the middle of the case and it was not by design um there had been a whole lot of stuff going on and um there was a lot of gang activity. We actually had heated up the area because there was a bunch of guys with explosives, weapons, and we were not in control of what was happening. So there's a lot of gang. We brought some gang unit cops out and um, heated the area up. Ultimately, um, I left the clubhouse and um, everything had quieted down and I was hungry. I had a gun on me. Did not want to leave it in the clubhouse so one of these idiots pick it up and shoot a cop. Um I did not want to walk down the street with it for fear of getting jacked up by a cop and having a gun on me because I am a convicted felon. So I went over to my truck and I opened the back door and slid it in. And um, when I when I slid it into the road, you know, I put it in the map holder, you know, behind the seat, uh, the front seat. And as soon as I did it, you know, you get that feeling like oh, I just fucked up. Well, um, I jump out of the truck. I put a, a poncho on top of it. I jump out of the truck shut the door and lock it. And as soon as I do, uh, uh, unmarked unit comes flying up, pro me out. Would you put in the truck? Like they knew I had done something, but they didn't know what it was. Um, you know, and so they're like, Hey, um, you know, what would you put in there? I'm like, cause there's 15 pagans across the street there. And I'm like, Oh, fuck yourselves. I'm not fucking telling you a thing. I didn't do anything. Um, they're like, we know you put something in the truck, open the truck. I'm like, I'm not open the fucking truck, get a search warrant. And so like we're going back and forth. So there's a tall cop and a shortcut. And so the, uh, the tall cops looking and it's, it's dark and he's looking in the truck and he can't see shit. And I know he can't see shit cause I know where I put the gun. Um, and then there's a, uh, so anyway, so I'm now they have me sitting in a snowbank and, and so eventually the, uh, the tall cop comes over and then the short cop goes over. Now this dude's so short, he can barely see in the fucking windows, but he's looking and he's like, I see it. I see it. He comes running over. I'm like, you don't see shit. And he rips my keychain off my, uh, my belt loop and um and he gets in the truck and eventually you know he says he sees in the floorboards he ends up fine so anyways i get locked up um now these were good cops they knew that i had done something they didn't know exactly what well but let's let's put it let's hold on there for a second did he really see it or did he just think he seen it and convinced himself into seeing it because if you put it in that map holder even with a little bit of window tint you're talking not even trying to shine a flashlight i mean that's a tough thing to see yeah no 
he knew I had done something. These guys were good cops. They've been around. They knew. But like the lesson learned is like, don't ever under, you know, like you never know who you're dealing with. And the, and the fact is, is that, you know, yeah, they got the gun and they got me locked up. Um, and but when so, he's running around going, I see it, I see it. What is he, he, he didn't see anything. He just said he saw it right to get into the truck. Yeah, that's my opinion. You see, he grabbed the keys to get in the truck to get the gun or get whatever the hell it was. It could have been a kilo of Coke. He wouldn't have known. So anyway, so <clears throat> they grab me um, and they hook me up and they, um, you know, they bring me down and they'd run me. And so it wasn't the most pleasant of rides down to the, uh, to the station because they knew I was a convicted felon for kicking shit out of a cop. Um, and we get down there and of course, nobody, none of the, the locals other than one gang unit guy knew that there was an undercover case. Cause rule one of these things, you don't tell anybody these things are going on. Um, so, but there was a female detective who came in and interviewed me and she, when the, when the one guy showed up to interview me, who was their biker guy, um, she had said to him, Hey, something doesn't seem right here. So she was smart. You know, she couldn't put a finger on what it was, but she's like, something just doesn't seem right. Anyways, neither here nor there, but the pagans got me their attorney right away. And so like, I couldn't, we couldn't do anything. I had to stay in jail. Um, this guy got discovery. And so if I hadn't had police reports and all this stuff to back this stuff up, uh, I would have been smoked. You know, if they were like, there's no felony conviction or there's no reports, like all that shit got turned over to my defense attorney and the case get got, um, you know, basically it was going through the court process, um, it, which also lit the fuse. Like, we're not going to be able to let this go to trial. And at some point, like technically the pagans have ruled that if you get indicted uh, on a case or if you get arrested on a case, you are suspended from the club until that case is, is done. Uh, but they broke that rule. They broke several rules for me. And um, there's, there's actually a, a church recording that uh, they talk about that where they're like, you know, um, I was an officer in the club by this point. And they're like, nobody should be an officer in the club until they finish their probation period. Slam is, and he's doing such a great job. We're going to let him still keep doing it. So they, they later live to regret those decisions. Um, well, here but you are, Mister Mister Overachiever. Not only did you get off the you know probation early, you know at ATF, you got off probation early in the pagans. I see a pattern being established here. Either that, or I'm just a very good bullshitter, and I can just work my way through it. Hey Ken, so you you mentioned something. There's a church recording. Can you explain what a church is? So church is where the uh, biker gangs do all their criminal planning. So when you go into church, um, wherever it's being held, and it's often held in different locations. But there are no electronics allowed in there at all. There are times we had church where we were stripped butt naked, um, which is not a pretty sight. If you've seen the book and see some of the pictures, these are some of the ugliest humans I've been around. And na- butt naked is not making it better. I promise you that. <laughs> um, but anyways, you you would sit. Uh, you, you know, you'd be in there. Um, so like bare minimum, no electronics in there at all. So, um, and that's where they would do their criminal planning. Uh, they would do, you know, regular chapter. Um, and it was always a chapter. Well, not always chapters, sometimes mother club, but for the most part, it was the chapters. You'd be paying your dues. You'd be talking about what was coming up, what events, and then the, whatever criminal activity was happening, that was all planned out um, during the church sessions. So, but you said you were an officer of the club by that time, but that also means you were fully patched then, right? Yeah. So let me back up to that. So um, we had, so I was prospecting <clears throat> and actually went to my first mandatory which was a horrible event. It, it, part of uh, every mandatory, they have what they call the witching hour. Um, and it's about two o'clock in the morning with a bunch of strung out bikers who hunt uh, prospects and beat the shit out of them. 
Um, and when I say beat the shit out of them, they beat the shit out of them with axe handles. <clears throat> and a lot of people be like, oh, an axe handle, that's not a big deal. No, these are baseball bat axe handles. These are a big deal. Um, and they hurt like hell when they hit you. Um, you can kill somebody. Um, they damn near do um, more than once during this case. Um, but anyway, so he, and ch- my sponsor and really my chapter didn't do shit to protect me 99% of the time. Like there was days I wasn't allowed to sleep. There was days I didn't eat. Um, but the one thing my sponsor did and, and good sponsors would, they would try to hide their prospects out during the witching hour. Um, and so they did. And so I was able to avoid, uh, the witching hour when I was in, uh, my first mandatory out in Youngstown on the way back from there, there was this whole weird deal where I, uh, I was, we were fueling up right before. So every, you got to refuel the bikes every two hours. So every two hours you're going to stop to get at least fuel. So we fuel up before we're going and I was on the phone. Um, and, and so I had a, uh, an old lady who was there part of the time and, but what it always allowed me to do is it would allow me to call her and be like, Hey, yeah, Hey, I'm on my way. I'll be there in a couple hours. And she could pass that on to the cover team. So like, it wouldn't be me reaching out to the cover team, which is always problematic. So I hit her up and said, Hey, on our way, just tell them to go. Um, see him back in, uh, and, and at the end of this, I knew I was going to be able to, I said, I was going out, uh, poaching for lobsters. So I knew I was going to go to New York with them and then head, head North. So we, it, right before we're leaving, Roblox comes over and he's standing right in my face and which he had never really done before, especially when I was on the phone to so get off. And he's like, Hey, change your plans. You come back to New York. And I'm like, why? He's like, don't fucking, it doesn't matter why prospect just be back in New York. And, and we're riding in a pack. There's like a hundred of us. And so, um, so I'm like, all right, so now I have no way to reach anybody. I can't go call. That's going to look fucked up. And your cover team, even with your cover team, they're not, they can't be, I mean, they're not around you, right? I mean, you're kind of out there dangling on your own. Yeah. I have no wire. There's no nothing. So they don't know, but they, but I told them, I just got done telling them I'll meet them in New York. I don't need them to follow me because I, I, listen, they were, and they used to refer to themselves. They were the body recovery team. They didn't know where I was half the time. They sure as hell didn't know what was going on any of the times. And so, um, so anyway, so we're, we're heading back and this gets weirder. Every two hours we stop, they're less engaging with me. Now I'm a prospect and they treat you like shit, but they still would like talk to you. Um, and we're finally in the middle of freaking mountains in Pennsylvania and it's now just getting dark and we gone in to eat and we refueled and, um, they had Boston Bob, you know, and I, I skipped past this, but Boston Bob and I uh, almost got cleaned out. He did, he ran off into the woods and, and crashed. Uh, we almost got cleaned out by a Mercedes coming around a corner on our way down to get ready to go to this mandatory. And, um, the best thing that ever happened to him because his bike got trashed. He, he, his leg was all fucked up. And so they like let him sit in the car on the ride out there. Meanwhile, I was riding for 12 hours straight, uh, you know, out to Youngstown. And let people know exactly what's it like to ride. Were you on a Triumph or what were you riding? No, I was on a um, an electric glide, and that was chosen by choice. Uh, um, but generally, you had to have a Harley. And um, it's not like here's what I learned. I learned it on on the way out to Youngstown. Um, I didn't think it was possible to fall asleep in a motorcycle and actually stay upright. And it one thousand percent. It happened to me more than once, and it happened to me. It didn't happen to me. It happened to people who were with me as I was driving or riding, um, that were out cold, like sound asleep. So I'll, I'll tell you just on the way out there, it had gone, went from a rainstorm is the middle of the night. We we're going through the mountains. It's freezing cold, it's pitch black. And I was exhausted because I had left Boston at like eight in the morning. And now we're at like 
four in the morning, three in the morning, whatever it was <clears throat> going along. And I literally fell asleep and I, I, it was, it was so memorable for me that I remembered having a dream that I was climbing a tree and picking a leaf off this tree. Like I could see, you know, I can see the veins of a leaf on the backside of it. Like that was in my dream. I remember that as clear as day. And the, you know, the bikers always, when they run in them packs, they'll always have at least one follow on vehicle. Most of the times two. And one of those will have the guns and drugs in it. And the other one's just falling behind. Um, and they had seen uh, that I had fallen asleep and was starting to go off, drift off to the side of the uh, the road. And so they leaned on the horn and I ultimately woke up and uh, realized that, holy shit, like I just fell asleep on a motorcycle. It was, uh, it was. <laughs> How bur- far of a distance did you go like that? Who knows? I have no friggin' idea long enough to dream. I mean, maybe it's a second, I don't know, but it was, it, it was long enough to have that full dream and to get over onto the, the, um, the side of the, the road there. And before they ended up leaning on the horn and stopping it. So, so um, I went to college late seventies, early eighties. And before the Iranian revolution, we actually had Iranian students there. They were okay. But one of the guys had got some Chevy, you know, wagon van, you know, shagging wagon thought, um, they just had initially had cruise control on there, thought it meant autopilot. He hops in the back of the vehicle to make a drink or whatever. That vehicle actually goes straight for about three miles before it just, because it's it's Western Kansas, the roads are, it goes straight for about three miles before it goes off into a ditch and rolls. But he goes, oh, I thought it was autopilot. You know, I did not know. Uh, 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 so I was riding, <laughs> chapter president. have that in Iran. Yeah, I was riding on the Long Island Expressway. Chapter President was asleep for at least five miles, like sound <laughs> asleep. And he was straight as an arrow. Uh, the only thing that varied was his speed. Um, it was crazy. And he, he, he'd start slowing down, then he'd kind of half wake up and speed up, and then he'd be out cold again. <clears throat> it was crazy. But anyways, Jeez. so long story short, coming back, all of a sudden we're at this rest area, and they're like, hey, you um, – I they brought Boston Bob outside, and they wanted to talk to him. And I was like, fuck this. Nobody's been talking to me. And, you know, and so I walked out to try to join the group that was talking. And they're like, hey, prospect, get the fuck over there by the bikes. So I'm over there and I remember calling and, and um, saying to the, the female agent, like, hey, something ain't right here. And she's like, get on your bike and get out of there. I'm like, no, they're, it, like they're they're talking about me because you can see them in a pack and looking over. Something's fucked up. I don't know if they figured this out or whatever, but this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about your your backstory. And so it's it, and she's like, just get out of there. I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm gonna ride this out and see what's gonna happen here. So I get summons over, and like I said, there's a whole bunch of them there in this circle by the woods outside of the, the, you know, in the rest area, but up by the woods. And so you can't see him from the road. It's, pit, you know, it's, it's now got dark. So they bring me over and I'm like, shit. And so they bring me to the center of the circle and I'm like, and they're all like agitated and acting weird. Um, and long story short is I'm convinced that they're like, they figured something out and you know, they're going to fuck me up. And it turns out that the night before, and there was some commotion at the mandatory the night before the national vice president had tried to coup, didn't work. They beat the fuck out of him, threw him out of the club. But then what had happened is everybody he vouched for got thrown out of the club. And he had vouched for me because when they had called about me prospect and he had said, yeah, I gave the green light. So they said, anybody he gave the green light to is fucking out. So I, so basically what they were telling me is that me and Bob, we got kicked out of the club. So I was like, shit, I'm kicked out of the club. And at first I was like, all right, shit, they're not going to kill me. This is good. And then I was freaking pissed off. Cause I'm like, I just went through a goddamn mandatory and all this shit. Now I get kicked out for something that had nothing to do with it. If I fuck up fine, but I didn't. So anyways, I, I was like, fuck you guys, whatever. And they're like, no, 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 hang here. You know what? I'm like, no, and I got on my bike and I took off to chase me for a bit, but I was so pissed, man. I just flew through the rest, got, 
to New York, got to 95, went up, ultimately met the cover team, threw the bike on a trailer. I climbed the back seat and just freaking passed out until I was back home. I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. This is over. Um, fast forwarding, um, the sack was smart. He gave me a couple of days to kind of cool down, regroup, shower, you know, all that kind of shit. Brought me in the division. They're like, hey, we want you to just stay affiliated with these guys. So I was like, okay. And so I was exchanged phone calls. I was talking to Roblox. I was talking to JR. Um, all of a sudden, over the summer, and this is where dumb luck comes in. You know, so now about a month's gone by. Um, and there, there's a, a concert series going on not too far from the clubhouse. And um, the uh, Hells Angels roll up in the clubhouse. Now, if I had still been in, I would have been on guard duty that night. Um, but I wasn't, and I was out. So Roblox was on guard duty. He was a sergeant arms. Normally he wouldn't do that. Normally it'd be a prospect that would be doing it, but because they kicked me out, it was him. So they roll up hell's angels and a couple of their support clubs. And, uh, and we have an amazing video of this where they roll up, they surround this dude. Um, and they beat the fuck out of him. Ball peen hammers. I mean, they fucked him up. They had a med flight him out, um, afterwards. And, um, and again, it, it would have been me, but I get a call that, Hey, this happened. And so they're like, and we need you to come down. So I went down back down to long Island. Um, and the pagans were indebted. They were like, Hey, you got here before other pagan chapters got here. Um, and, and so from that point they were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to get you back in. So fast forward. Cause I know we're, um, running. No, no, just uh, look, tell, tell the story. Just tell the story. Mm-hmm. So we're going, we're going, um, uh, so we, there's another mandatory, but now I get to go to this mandatory without being a, a prospect. So it's not that bad. Now I can't stay in the compound where they were staying. This is down in Wildwood, New Jersey. Um, but I just rented a place not too far. Anyways, <clears throat> during that time, they um, had approached the national president, the new national president. And they're like, Hey, we're getting crushed out in Long Island. You know, the hell's angels have us outnumbered five to one. You know, we had this great guy and he got tossed out because of what happened to the national vice president. And, and so eventually he's like, Hey, you want him? He's yours. He's your responsibility. So they're like, all right. So they basically tell, they fuck around. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick hogman story. So, uh, we're in, they bring me to the, the president's room at the hotel and they're sitting down and they're fucking with me. They're like, Hey, you know, um, bad news. They're not going to let you back in. And now here's somebody's in the bathroom. Um, but I don't know who it is and I don't even know what's going on, but I'm more listening to them. And, and, and so all of a sudden the door opens and it's one of these things, there's a little hallway and it's a bathroom and there's a, you know, wall unit AC in it. Hogman comes out of the bathroom and this ungod, unhuman stench comes out that catches the air conditioning unit that freaking blasts it right in my face. It was <laughs> like nothing I've ever smelled before. They start laughing now because of smell, because it hasn't hit them yet. But they're laughing because they were busting my balls and that the national president said, hey, he's yours. He's back in. Uh, then they get wiped up by the smell and everyone flees the room. But so now they're like, hey, we can start your prospecting today. And I'm like, uh, you know, listen, I'm no idiot. Uh, how about I start tomorrow when the mandatory is not going on? And uh, so that, that was that. So I, I was um, I was back prospecting again. Yeah, back. no, no. You bypassed the smell thing too bad. What was what? What are you talking about? It, it was in it was inhuman. It, like whatever crawled up his ass and died that he left in the bowl. Um, it had to have been mounting out of the bowl because it was such a strong smell that was coming out of there. It was just it was oh. it was disgusting. Like nothing I've ever ever smelled before. But it goes with him. And I and I have to circle back to tell you why Hogman, why his name 
um, his club name was Hogman, but it was very close to becoming Blood Clot. And, uh, and I'll, I'll circle back in, that, oh, in a minute. Okay. <laughs> so, so now I'm back. I'm a prospect. Um, I, I've got to go to one more mandatory. Um, and oh, the, the other thing is they said, you have to be a prospect for six months and you have to count your days. Like you have all this, there's all these rules. You have to carry all this shit with you. Somebody says, Hey, I need a cigarette. You better have a cigarette, toothpick, tampon, whatever the hell is on this list. You got to have that shit on you 24 seven, whenever you're particularly at these mandatories, but there are tricks of the trade too. You don't bring marbles with you. Cause every frigging dickhead's going to want a marble. You bring the generic cigarettes that nobody likes smoking. So they don't bother you too much. Um, but you go through this ritual, and if you're around mother club members, there's rules. Keep your hands down by your side, you because they have guards, and their guards are just looking to crack a prospect in the head with an axe handle because he put a, a hand inside of a jacket or, or, or what have you. So I'm going through this. Um, I'm going through the prospecting phase a second time, and now it's like six more months. So I'd already done a couple. You don't months. get credit for time served, so to speak. Nothing. Got to start I, from no. at zero. And they said, they actually felt bad about it. They're like, hey, we feel bad, you know, but I'm like, this sucks, man. I didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, you know, but I'm pleading with a bunch of morons. And and it was that close that whether they could get me back into the club. So I think they were like, hey, we're just happy we got you back. Um, you know, prospect is prospecting. So anyways, go through and I'm a couple months into it. I've probably got another three more months to go. And so, I, I, you know, I, I go into church. And sometimes as a prospect, they would let you in a church. Most of the time, you'd be in for part of the time, but you'd have to be out for the other part, and you post guard out outside of wherever they were holding church. So this particular day, roll up, and um, church is being held at the chapter president's house, which oftentimes, no, no, you know, I'd say half the time, we would do it at his in his garage. Um, but in this day, and he had multiple kids and a wife, none of them were around, and he held church in the house, which was weird. Um and I was in there uh, for the bulk of it. And whatever documents they go through or create during church will be take down, taken outside and burned afterwards. So there's nothing that's left behind. Um, and so after church, they handed me these documents. And they're like, hey, go burn these things over. And they were acting like just really irritable, like just nasty as shit. And which is, I don't say it was unusual, but it wasn't, it was more than normal. So they hand me all these documents. So I go over the grill throw some lighter fluid on it. And, and Izzo, who is one of the chapter um, members, walks out with me. He's bullshitting with me at the grill. I light these things up. Freaking, they're burning in the grill. Yeah, but that, that's got to hurt at that point, right? Because you got a bunch of, I mean, that would be like really good shit to be able to copy or do something with, but everybody's watching you, right? You got to burn yeah, it. You got to burn it. And, you, and I'm trying to remember what's on it. Uh, and listen, I'll, I'll be honest. Half these, it, like, Half of the time they spent in church would be criminal activity. The other half was them trying to balance their own goddamn books. They couldn't add up two plus two. And so, like, I'm an accountant. And so, like, I wanted to be like, what the fuck? Does somebody this need car- a CPA? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> carry carry the one. one. It's that simple. That's um, Jeth- Jethro and his siphon, you know. But yeah. it's funny. I, di- I did, like, interject a couple times, like, try to cut. And they're like, hey, if you ever make it into the club, you are going to be the treasurer. And I'm like, all right. Hey, that works for me. So anyway, so take these documents. I tried to look at them so I can remember what they were, burn them. And so Izzo's standing there. And all of a sudden, out the back door comes Roblox and JR. And there's a bunch of other members, including Hogman, inside. And they're like, fucking prospect, get your fucking ass back in here. Which, again, usually when it was chapter stuff, they wouldn't necessarily call you prospect. Uh, Like, it was just a little bit lower key, whereas you were mandatory. Everything was like, you know, you're the scum of the earth. But they're like, prospect, get the fuck back in here, blah, blah, blah. So I... 
so I, as I'm walking in, Izzo's now behind me and I'm walking, it's like two steps up to a mudroom and then like two steps into the kitchen in the living room area. And so I take the two steps up um, and I realize Izzo's right behind me. And as I, as I'm standing in the, in the mudroom, I could feel his breath. Like he's that close to me from behind and I could see his right hand and he's got a gun in his right hand. He didn't have that when we were out there. He was jo- not joking around, but he was bullshitting with me at the, at the, uh, the grill. And so I'm like, what the fuck? And so then I step into the, the kitchen and then I could see like the, the sitting area where, um, the whole church and there's Hogman with a shotgun and he's got it pointed at my head. And I'm like, fuck, you know, I just, I just walked into this thing. I got no wire on. I've got Izzo standing behind me, feel his breath. And he's got a handgun in his right hand. And I got Hogman who like, you don't want anyone pointing a shotgun at you. He sure as hell don't want Hogman pointing a shotgun at you. Cause the dude's as dumb as fuck. And he may just shoot you by accident, even if it wasn't intended to, but he's got the shotgun. He's got it pointed my, at my head. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, and then Roblox super irritated. And he's like, read this fucking thing. And it, and it's this thing about being a rat. And I'm like, holy shit, these guys think I'm a rat, which is worse than being a cop. At least a cop, they might think twice about killing you, but a rat, they're just going to kill. And so I'm reading this thing. I couldn't tell you one word that it's saying. I'm reading the words, but it's not sinking in at all because I'm like, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? And so there's a there was across the living room, there's a plate glass window that went out to the front yard. And I was like, no matter what the hell happens, I don't care. I'm getting through that plate glass window. It'll the, the glass alone is going to kill me, but it doesn't matter because I've already got a shotgun point out of it. But they're going to find me outside, not inside this fucking shithole. And um, so he's like, read it again. And he's got a knife in his hand. And then he goes and powers down the knife into the table. And um, and they're all agitated. And I still can't figure out what the hell has gone wrong, but I'm reading this thing about being a rat. JR, I see him leave kind of down the hallway. And he comes back, but I'm not focused on him. I'm more focused on freaking Hogman and the shotgun. And like, and you guys have been in law enforcement. There's nothing more intimidating than looking down the barrel of a shotgun. I mean, it's just, they're not going to, they're not going to miss. And, uh, according to my, I see JR throw something at my head and I'm like, it just instinctively put up my arm to block it. it hits my arm and I end up catching it and it's a soft patch. And so soft patch is basically the colors, but not in color form. They're on a t-shirt, but they're, so they would wear those, you know, periodically, but as a non-pagan, you aren't allowed to touch anything that says pagan. So when they threw the soft patch at me, what they were telling me is, Hey, you are now patched in. You're one of us. So that's how the fuck I found out that I was now a full fledged. Oh, pagan. they were. That was. <laughs> yeah, it was like not. Chain. Yeah, it was not nice. It was not. Uh, it was not a nice way to find out. Like I thought it would be some sort of celebratory, or whatever. No, no, they damn near heavy stroke out, and then if you survive that, <laughs> then you get to find. Steve, you know what this? So we did an episode with a guy named Stephen Matelski up in uh, Canada, and he was working yeah. organized crime, and they've got video of the mob making a made man out of a dude but these fuckers are in velour running suits you know jogging suits in a motel aid in a bedroom it's kind of like hey you doing okay yeah i don't you just be good to the family who do this hey where's the buffet i mean that was that was we thought it was going to be suit and tie you know and mysterious stuff it's more like no hey we drove all the way up here we got to eat before we go so yeah you're in the club let's go (laughs) see ya No, you know, you think you're going to take a blood oath. <laughs> they want yeah. to go to the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the buffet? What's how much is a super save at a Boca, honey? You know, we got to get out of here. So uh, I would have preferred that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. 
we had a prior episode with a guy uh, talked about shit in his pants. <laughs> did you have to clean out your shorts? I'll tell you what. I don't know how I did. Like I was so focused. I would have been fine if I had shit in my pants. I just naturally didn't for whatever reason. But like, there were so many things going on in those few seconds that, like, you know, um, what did I get myself into and why? You know, yeah, you um, know, we were kind of joking about that, but realistically, what is going through your head at that point? You see the shotgun, you've got you, you I mean, you're screwed if if that's what they're gonna do, right? There's no way out. What is no, going no through your mind? Is, is this behind me? My whole my whole focus was getting out that plate glass window. Honestly, that's all I was focused on. Like I said, I read that document twice. Um, and and I couldn't tell you really what it was saying. It was basically saying this is what we're going to do to rats. Um, but like, I couldn't tell you like in depth what it, what it meant. Yeah. But, 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 you know, everybody said, but for you, it's just like your whole thing is your exit strategy at that point. Right. How am I getting out of here? I'm getting out of here. They're not going to find my body in this place. If, if they get me, they're going to, they're still going to find me out front. So, so when you, when you, when you're in this position, does your family go through your mind? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Like you know, you've left them. Now you're leaving them behind, you know, and there was, there was more than one occasion where that, you know, crossed in is like, why, you know, because this, this thing has a horrible effect on your family and you don't, I didn't fully appreciate it until I came out. Cause my wife kept a lot of it. Cause she dealt with a lot of that stuff herself, um, to her credit. But when you come out, you know, you hear all the stories and, um, you know, it, it, it you know, put it this way. And I've said this a million times, like, if you're trying to improve your marriage, don't go undercover for two years. It's it's not going to help. <laughs> well, and when you would when you would occasionally now before you went undercover, you're coaching a kid's soccer team, right? Uh, hockey teams, hockey team. And so when you occasionally get to go home, now you're looking and smelling like a scumbag coming into a quiet community, residential community. You you want to go see your kids play sports, and all the other parents are like, "What in the hell?" Yeah, you got you got this shit back. Like, I will tell you one uh, upside of this. Um, I so I I got an opportunity to come home. Um, it was going to be for less than twenty four hours, but I I came you know ripping in the neighborhood. And it was a nice, quiet neighborhood, and the bike was really loud. Um, and my daughter, my oldest, had her first boyfriend. So like, just started dating the kid. Like, <laughs> oh, this is going to go well. Hey, meet my dad. <laughs> yeah, it just like forty eight hours before they. Uh, and so you know, back at that age, you know, your your date was playing basketball in the driveway, and so I come um, ripping in the motorcycle. And she can hear the bike, you know, probably quarter mile away, and so she sees the bike coming around the corner and she, and I had a pretty long driveway and she goes running down the driveway saying, dad, and I hadn't seen her in a while. And so, um, yeah, I come up, you know, um, park the bike, jump off, give her a big hug. And I, and I had been on a run. Now I didn't have my colors on, but I had my leathers. I, and I had been on a run. So I hadn't showered in days. So I looked particularly bad. Um, did and, you kind of smell matter. like hog man at I, that point? I, I smelled like absolute shit. I had road grime on me for days. Um, so like, it, you know, you look like shit, you smell like shit, uh, but she she didn't care. I was her dad, and she jumps into my arms. And I look over, and here's this kid, and his eyes were like the size of two footballs. I'm like, holy shit, this is your father? He was trembling. <laughs> I went up and shook his hand, and he was trembling, literally trembling as he was handing me his hand to shake. Uh, needs to say he was gone in about 24 hours. 
So I, I said to my wife, I'm like, this is awesome, man. I'm going to stay in role for the next 10 years. I'm not going to have to deal with any boyfriends coming around or anything else. It reminds so. me of the comedian Bill Engvall. He was talking about introducing, you know, meeting her, his daughter's boyfriend for the first time. He looked at me and says, just want you to know something. I got no problem going back to prison. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, when my daughters, when boys would come over and they found out, you know, who I was and what we'd been involved with. It was, you know, that would set him back. But I can't imagine coming home and seeing Biker Dad. Oh, man. <laughs> this kid, he was gone. Literally, it was 24 hours later. My daughter this day will tell you it was all because of me. Um, but anyway, best thing, so, best thing you could have done. Yeah, it was. that was the upside <laughs> of that investigation. There weren't many, but that that was uh, one of them. But anyhow, so now I'm, I'm patched in and I'm like, oh, life is going to get better, man. I'm but now By the patched. time you're patched in, how many years, you know, how many months are you into this now? How how long has this taken you to get to this point of being patched in? I mean, the case has been going about a year. Um, and this part of the prospect, and they did cut it short, this part of the prospect went about four months. So um, in total, I did probably close to seven months of prospecting. Um, but now it's like, Hey, this is great, man. I, I, um, I, you know, law enforcement had, was never able to patch into the pagans. Like that was a pagans claim of fame. No cop had ever infiltrated them. And so here it is. It's like, Hey, we, we're in. And, um, and so it was like, it, it will get easier, but it doesn't get easier. You know, it's like, you know, when you're an agent and you're like, Oh, if I become first line supervisor, this shit gets way easier. Cause I get to call the shots. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it gets actually more difficult. Um, but th- the one thing that did happen as as they had said, is I became the treasurer really quick. Um, so I was an officer in the club immediately, bec- not immediately, but very close, which got me the books. And so even though the, the president kept the books, I had them. So I got to make copies of the books so you could see all the, the laundering of the money and this, you know, cause like they would take bikes, sell bikes, seize bikes. They would beat members out of the club, take the bikes. They were doing collections from store owners, th- that kind of stuff. And all that stuff was memorialized in the books. Um, so it became really important um, later on in the case. Yeah. Well, no shit. I mean, here you are, you f- your degree is finally paying off now, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. Cause I have, I have an actual chance of understanding what the hell these ledgers. And the bad um, guys, they, they put a fox right in the hen house with them. <coughs> oh my they God. Did. They did. <laughs> I so. love it. They just might as well made copies and mailed them to ATF headquarters. You know, it would have been easier. Yep. No, no doubt. It was, uh, yeah. So th- no, that was great. And, and I was the treasurer for, uh, a few months and then, um, the chapter president got promoted to the president of presidents, which means like the step below mother club. Mother club is the national hierarchy, uh, for the gang. And, um, and when that happened, Roblox became the president of the chapter. Um, and, and so he then, um, made me his Sergeant at arms, which is the number two in the chapter. There's a vice president, but the vice president has no status unless the president is either dead or in jail. Um, and the, and the Sergeant arms is the number two plus Sergeant arms knows where all the weapons are, the explosives, all that stuff. Like it all falls under your purview and you deal with all the discipline and everything else. So that created some bad blood with Hogman, um, because Hogman was, um, uh, the half brother of the president and the president chose me over Hogman and, uh, Hogman's not the most rational of folks. Um, and so, you know, talking about Hogman and how vile he was, um, there was, so we would go to events and Hogman always claimed that he could tell when it was that time of month for women and um, like he could just smell it. And so we, we were at a party and he'd gone in the bathroom and came out and literally had fished a used tampon out of the, out of the trash and came out and was chewing on it oh. um, and was very oh. proudly chewing on it and, and drinking a beer. <laughs> Honey, and, din- 
cancel dinner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and this is the least of the the three stories I'll tell you about Hogman. Uh, he then had a. You uh, mean it gets I, worse? Oh, okay. It definitely gets worse. Oh, there was a nasty. cat. This guy's nasty. There's a cat next door that had given birth to kittens, and he oh. happened to be there for the miraculous event. And he helped the cat lick the pus and blood off of oh. the kittens. Oh. And it was it was like you eating a hot fudge sundae. Um, oh, my it, God. It, it was, he was enjoying it. But the worst was we go – so there was this pass around, um, you know, basically a, a female that's kind of passed around the chapter and a bunch of different guys sleeping with her or whatever. And uh, she ends up getting pregnant. Um, by actually the president's nephew who is overseas. So she, she ends up pregnant. She's in the hospital. She gives birth. And so we go and visit her in the hospital. And there's nothing more embarrassing walking into a legitimate hospital with a bunch of freaking animals in colors. Like we're walking by, there's a Christmas tree with the ornaments and they're like stealing fucking bulbs off the tree. Like it's just fucking embarrassing. So we go through and, and people in the hospital are like, what the hell, man? There's all these freaking thug bikers coming in. So we go up to the room. She had her, her own room. We go in there. I had only met her once. I didn't really know her. And uh, so I was kind of hanging back. Like the room was kind of an L shape. You had the bathroom. And then you had like the rest was like where the bed and all that shit was. So, so most of the members were over there. And um, so I, I noticed Hogman's over there. He says, hi, he knew her. And then he comes back and he's kind of hanging by the bathroom, which is, I was right across from the bathroom door. And, um, and I see him looking in there and then eventually he, he goes in the bathroom and, um, you know, you know, if you ever had your wife give birth, or whatever they have those in the toilet, they have those catch basins, and they're looking to catch oh. like blood clots and that kind of stuff. Oh. And so, in this oh. basin, unbeknownst to me, but somehow this freaking animal can figure it out. There were blood clots in there, and there's a particularly big one. And oh. he walks in and picks this thing out of the little catch thing, and he pops it in, and it actually pops when he bites into it. It pops like oh, it was everything nice. I had I, not to lose my lunch. The only thing that saved my ass was that there was a president there who was a vile human being in his own right, but he lost his shit, lit him up. This dude's got blood dripping down his lips from biting into this thing, and he's happy as a clam. And the, the president just loses his mind, oh. throws him out of the room, throws him out of the hospital. He's like, go fuck away by the bike. He's disgusting. And I was like, thank God, man, because just the thought of like looking at him after oh. that. Um, this is yeah, the closest it's... I've ever come to vomiting in a discussion <laughs> I've ever had. You're not uh, oh, Murph, but, Murph and I are still both, both of our eyes were our faces just like, I'm still, I can't unfurl my eyebrows. It's, well, it's, I read this, I read this in the book when I was reading your book and my uh, wife's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And I said, I, I can't oh, even tell you that. I'm not telling you this. It, oh. it is, it was so now. And I mean, for, for folks who don't realize this, when bikers greet each other and, and when I do my presentation to law enforcement, I, I have a slide of this of me and Hogman in a parking lot, but bikers greet each other by kissing each other. Um, and so there's a picture of me kissing Hogman. I'm like, for God and country, because there's no effing way that's what you want to be doing with this kind of animal. Uh, Why do they yeah. kiss each other? It's just, a, it's a biker thing. It's just a friendship. There's nothing. Like, I mean, it's like just on the lips. On the lips. Yeah. Some, some will do like cheek. It depends on how well you know somebody, but uh, generally chapter members are closer. Um, you know, brothers, you're, you're, you're going to kiss them on the lips. So. Yeah, I know it probably took you a couple of days to wash the road. How many hours did you spend in the bathroom brushing your teeth? Uh, <laughs> uh, see, I just kind of blocked it out. I blocked a lot of shit out um, during oh. that time. The book brought it all back for me, but, um, you know, that and listening to recordings and stuff like that. 
Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that because let's kind of you know talk about how this whole thing ends. So you, you, how long are you into this and how do you know? This is a question we've asked a lot of folks who've done the, the UC investigations. At some point, it's like, you know, I'm not sure when the point is, but at some point you go, yeah, it's now. So what brought this whole thing to an end to where you had to conclude it, right? Was it, a, was it an event? Was it just a feeling or was it management decision? How did you bring this to an end? So the multiple multiple things that factored in. Um, so I mentioned I got arrested. Well, I actually spent some you know time in jail before. Like ATF, that my bail was originally set for fifty grand because I had a felony conviction, and ATF was like, well, "We can't come up with fifty grand." I'm like, "You fuckers are going to leave me in here? Um, <laughs> Get a bondsman. And, it's ten percent. It's five grand." Well, <sighs> luckily, I because I did have a job at that garage. Um, the judge lowered it, and guess who posted my bond? Pagans. Pagans got me out, um, not ATF. So uh, now I think ATF would have, but the Pagans were more deliberate. <laughs> but they didn't. But but I will tell you, I was sitting. It was that you know, psycho son of a bitch who didn't want to bond you out, was it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, and I got I got to tell you that story. But the the uh, but I, when I was in the cell that first night, and I'm looking over at the freaking shitter, and there's like pubic hair and blood on. I'm like, man, I got a nice house, I got a nice family. What the hell am I doing here? And, and that also lit a fuse. It was like, you cannot, um, in, in New York, they cannot indict fraudulently indict a case, one that they know is not true. And so the fuse is burning. Um, and so we know that's going to, and they were going to continue the case to do whatever, but like it was not going to go on forever. And then, um, and then we, you know, fast forwarded to, um, I was buying crack cocaine off a of hog man and, uh, and his supplier. And so his supplier comes over one night. And in, Hogman in, was always armed when we did these transactions. But during that, um, after that was over and his supplier had left, he had said to me, he's like, hey, I, Tracy and I need your help. Um, you know, we, we ripped a drug dealer uh, a ways back. We buried him and in, uh, the property's been sold. We got to move the body. And we need you to help us dig it up, move the body. We're going to bury it on Tracy's property. Um, and so that created a whole lot of frigging turmoil um in, in the investigation because you had people like hey we can't do this uh morally we can't do it and um you know th th there's a dead person there now my argument was like he's not gonna be any more dead well yeah uh, he's dead now, it doesn't get much now. worse than that at this point yeah right but, but i don't even want to share that and then there was a big group that felt like they were trying and so this is all up in the catskills in the middle of the winter and so there was a big portion of atf that felt this was them luring me up there to dig my own grave and kill me um, and they were going to have no part of that. And so there was a lot of friction that this one uh, part of the... Uh, did you believe that was the case? Or did you... I, I didn't know, man. It, it, honestly, it's like, you as you go through this, you get... Um, you're always watching for things. And then, of course, like the stupidest of things, oh, the guy's got lint in his shirt. You're like, oh, hey, what does that mean? You know, like you're, you're, you're super uh, Paranoid. focused. Yeah. Yeah, well, focused. You yeah. know, and, and so like the littlest of things in, in, in killing somebody in, in moving their body in the middle of the winter up in the Catskills. Well, that's going to yeah. take you forever to dig in that frozen ground anyway. So I'll tell you what, uh, I learned something. If you need to bury somebody in the middle of winter in the Catskills, I could tell you how to dig a grave. Cause these guys, they treated the ground with salt and it worked like you can dig a grave in the middle and it was freezing freaking cold up there. Um, so yeah, so you can treat the ground and, and, and do it. And we did it. So uh, like long story short is, um, you know, we went up there and, um, and we were told not to talk about it with anybody else in the chapter. Hogman jumps in my truck. He's got a gun on him, uh, which was not that unusual. We drive up to the Catskills. By this point, Tracy's the president of the Catskills. 
Uh, we meet him at his house. Um, we go out and we dig the grave and he had a big, it wasn't, he, he rented the house, but it was a big, um, uh, shithole of a house and it had a big piece of property. So we go out there and, and he had already treated the ground with salt and we'd gone out there and dug the grave. It took a while. We had a pick and a shovel and whatever. But if you had a satellite image of this, it would be comical because Hogman it beat the fuck out of RB and when they threw him out of club the week before. He kicked him so hard, he shattered his foot in, in five places. So he's in a chair with a walking boot. Um, and I've got the shovel and Tracy's got the pick. And we're in this hole digging this grave. And if you watched it from a satellite view, I wouldn't turn my back on him. And so it was like we were like dancing because he'd move this way and I moved that way. Like there's no fucking way I was turning my back and watch him put this pick in the, in the back of my skull. And so we do this for, it seems like for four hours, it wasn't, but we dig the grave done. We're out, but we had to wait for it to get dark to go get the body and then bring it back and, and bury it. And so, uh, these guys go get high. Um, and eventually it ends up being dark. Actually funny side stories. We, we drive Tracy because he had to drop off his taxes. So. Only in a cop story. Can you be talking about digging up a, a body and say, Oh, there's a funny slide story that goes with this too. <laughs> Hey, the guy actually went and paid his taxes. Go, go figure. And, <laughs> really? And, and, yeah, we drove him there so he could drive. Now he's getting a fucking refund, so that's why. But anyways, um, we so we uh, so it's now it's dark, and um, so now we're heading out, and Tracy's got a gun on him. So it's like, all right, the dude's dead. Why do you need a gun? Um, and we're in the middle of fucking. When go to the Catskills in February, there ain't nobody there. All right, there's just like the cover team could be nowhere near because you could see it because there's just nothing going on up there. It's pitch black. It was the one time, the one time in this case that ATF demanded that I wear a wire. Um, and so I had, it was basically a cell phone wire and the fucking thing didn't work. At one point it quit out and started making all these fucking noises. I told him if it happens again, you can find a snowbank cause I ain't going to carry it. Um, but anyways, bottom line is, so it gets dark enough. And so um, the plan was Hogman was going to drive my truck. And we would get the body and Tracy and I would go in his truck. We would go and get the body, throw it in the back of my truck. And then he would just immediately take off and we would go a different direction. We meet back at Tracy's and then we bury the body. So we pull up, Tracy jumps out, darts in the woods and I had fucked up my knee. So I wasn't moving as good as I probably should have been, but I did have a 44 on me. Um, and in, uh, but he was gone. I knew he was armed. So he goes in the woods and I'm like, Hey bro. And, and he's like, over here, over here. And, and so I'm moving, but I'm keeping trees between me. Cause I'm like, this is the perfect place to smoke me is out in the middle of these fucking woods. Cause there's zero people around. Um, and so I can't see him, but I can hear his voice in a, and so I'm moving, keeping a tree between me and him. And eventually, and there was a, a pretty good moon. It wasn't a full moon or anything, but it was a pretty good moon out. Eventually it gets to a clearing. And he is, uh, and they told me like, Hey, this body, um, they, they cut off the hands of the feet. They had fed there's hog farms up there. And so they had fed the hands of the feet to the, the, the hog farm. Um, so I see him in the clear. I can see he doesn't have the gun in his hand. So I'm like, okay, so I come walking to him and he's like, Hey, I dug it up earlier, but there it is. It's wrapped in tarps in tarps. And so we picked this thing up. It freaking stinks like shit. Um, we got it over our heads and we're going to the woods and as we're going up this incline and all this fucking body fluids and shit come leaking out all over me, man. It fucking reeked, but you're like, you hold on to these fucking bony arms or whatever. And I didn't know exactly how long this dude had been dead or not. So anyways, 
we go um, get back to the road, throw it in the truck, and there's actually a video. You can see it of it going in the back of the the undercover truck. Where's the, who's back. taking the video? So, now, so it's just set in the truck. Uh, it was like a permanent video that was running. Okay, um, and so it's going. It's just going out the back. T- you know, the back windshield, and you can see the body get tossed in, and then uh, Hogman, boom, he's gone. Um, and then Tracy and I get in, and we meet him back, and then we finish burying. And even then, when we're burying the body. I'm like, shit, I got to be careful uh, because the, they could just lay me on top of this thing and, mm-hmm. and throw some extra dirt on. Uh, so we do that, uh, go back in the house, and um, these guys get high again, and um, roadblock calls. And him and his brother are having a conversation, hang up, and then Hogman's like, we are never to talk to anybody about this again. It's done. We're done with this. Don't ever bring it up because it's going to end up being a bad thing if it does. Uh, but I needed – to get the others, I need to know who else was involved in this. And, um, and so like when we got back to the clubhouse, I tried to bring the conversation up and the death stare I got from Roblox was clear, like, do not talk about this. Um, and so I, you know, I'm not going to ruin the whole book. Um, but you know, so, so now we have this dead body and folks aren't comfortable leaving this dead body out there. There's two Dobermans that are highly trained that are Tracy's dogs that are out. So you're not sneak. They wanted to have the SWAT team go in and take DNA out of it or they were going to replace it with a hog and like all this different shit. It was all these dumb ideas. Ultimately it gets uh, left there until the end of the case. Uh, so you had that. And then um, there's a, there was a group within the group, which nobody knew about, but they, it was their hit squad. And so Hellboy, um, and when you read the, the, the book, you see the picture of Hellboy, he's like all biker. Um, Hellboy had re- reached out to me and recruited me into this hit squad, which, it, which was run by Mother Club. And so nobody in my chapter could know that I was part of this group. And this was the group that went out and did the real heavy lifting for the for the club. And this was the ones that identified like Hell's Angels, where they were, they were going to go kill, that kind of stuff. And so totally out of our control, like I was just told where to show up and what to do. Um, so there was so all these things are happening, and we still had other elements of the case to to uh, to identify like you know key elements of some of the crimes um that we still had to prove so there was a lot going on um during this time and uh and there was some close calls and, and i'll share one real quick is we had we've been out in a run and we had um gotten back there was a whole bunch of us out in this run go back to the chapter president's house and and he had said hey um i need you and hogman to go pick up some shit for us and so he was sending us to the store so we head off and um and I pull out, so in the way the biker world works, the highest ranking rides front left, and then it works its way back. Next ranking's front right, and it goes all the way back. So I pull out front left. I'm the highest ranking. And um, so Hogman pulls out around, like, to the point where he's in the other lane of traffic to be front left. And it's like, listen, I- I'm a make-believe biker. I don't give a fuck. You want to be the front left, you know, because you think you're higher ranking than I am? Go ahead. Knock yourself out. It's where dumb luck comes in. We get about a quarter mile down the road. We're turning. Um, in a minivan splatters him on the road. Um, he, he literally codes out, um, three different times. They bring him back to life each time, which they never should have, but they did. And, uh, it was not his fault. And it would have been me if I had been riding front left. It was a mm-hmm. woman in a minivan wasn't paying attention. Boom. Just freaking. Did you him. let the paramedics know what this guy puts in his mouth before they did mouth to mouth on him? <laughs> they literally brought him back to life on the cement, um, <sighs> on the road. And then, uh, anyway, so, um, yeah. And the ultimate in, in irony is, um, he probably would have, if we'd left him on the street, he probably would have been dead within a few months. We put him in federal prison. They, they give him a sweet deal because it costs like a million dollars a month to keep this guy where he was. Um, so they let him plea out. He was facing like 99 years and they let him plea out to like 11. 
he does the 11 gets out and um dies within two months um after getting out so um, he is no longer a member of our society room temperature is a good look on him yeah yeah, no doubt. Well, so give give us the final stats on the case. So by the time you bring it closed, you make all these arrests. Um, what are we looking at here? What's the scoreboard? So yeah, so we take so we end up doing the final manager, getting the final pieces of this rolled in. We do a, a buy bus for uh, a pot of meth because we wanted to get Hellboy out because uh, extremely violent, especially if he was strung out on meth. Um, so he meets me at uh, about two o'clock in the morning. We do that um, pot of meth deal. They take him off. Um, he refused 1000%. It's like, oh, so my club name was Slam. Um, I had gotten it in a barroom brawl. Um, but that was my club name. So he's like, no way, Slam's a cop. He refused to believe it. Um, ultimately, um, they we did, uh, I think it was 21 search warrants. Um, the initial group that was arrested um, was 21, um, 21 Pagans. And then uh, that spun on to a bunch of other cases, some of which, some of that stuff is still actually going on. So, um, there was uh, there's, there's a fair amount of intel that, that that has come out of it, and other cases that were cleared by uh, folks that were involved in that, or others that had come forward afterwards, and so forth. So it spun on for a fair amount of time, and it, like I said, it, it actually still is to this day. You know, there's there's so many more stories in your oh, book God. here that that we can't cover, and and, uh, and just and I hate, I mean we hate to not do this, but we also want people to buy your book. You know, I mean. <laughs> If, if we read fine. the whole book on here, there's no reason to buy it. They just <laughs> right, consider the exactly. podcast for free. We got to leave but, some mystery. But now you, you, uh, your career continued on, and you made it up to the very top echelon of the, of the ATF uh, hierarchy, didn't you? It, it, it did, and 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 I was glad, you know, for a reason because a lot of a lot of the undercover folks and what what they go through, um, nobody does that career advancement. And so, like I said, I never wanted to be anything specifically. I didn't want to be an SRT guy. I didn't want to be a UC guy. I wanted to just be a good agent. So I did. I, I went back to being a first line soup. Um, I had an idiot for a boss uh, who was an ASAC. Couldn't take it anymore. My wife convinced me. She's like, just put him for the other ASAC job. I did just to terrorize him. He eventually left. Um, and then once you're there, you might as well be a SAC. And so I became a SAC and then was brought back in as a deputy assistant director for operations for East. And then ultimately retired when I was an assistant director. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, as heroic as your efforts are, I, I can't imagine, you know, when I, after I read your book, I wanted to call you and, and just say, dude, what the fuck? What the <laughs> hell made you, what were you thinking? What were you smoking or what were you, <laughs> what were you drinking, thinking and smoking? Oh my God. And, and yeah. we briefly mentioned who the other heroes are of this investigation. And, and uh, we'd like to for you to talk about your wife and three daughters briefly here. Yeah, no, they, they really are. Um, you know, I, I mentioned my wife kept a lot from me during it and, and really dealt with stuff with our daughters. And um, But they were great. They are the single reason I wrote this book. Um, I really had, uh, you know, I had done some stuff with Dateline in, in 2020, but um, it was related to murder for hires that I was doing. This uh, was a story I was going to keep to uh, to myself, really. But they were adamant that like the story needed to be told. And so I agreed to do it and, and they've enjoyed it. You know, they're glad that I did. And, uh, you know, kind of cool. My youngest is, is now an ATF agent and, and, um, I got to present her with my badge at her graduation from the Academy. Um, so that was pretty neat. That was, a, that, oh, was a that is cool. That yeah, is cool. cool. I get, I I get chill both. bumps when you said that. Yeah. My wife and I both got to do that presentation, but they are the true heroes to your point. My wife went through a lot. She did a lot. Uh, to keep the family moving forward. And she was an active agent at the time. So, um, 
you know, not, not an easy feat. And, and with teenage daughters, um, you know, they need a lot and they put up with a lot and, and it's two years that I can never give back to them, but I've tried ever since. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, we bring heroes in on every show and we don't give enough credit to the family who suffers oh. as much, if not more than what you suffer. Yeah. When we talk to Jay Bird, when we talk to Joe Pistone, when we talk to a lot of these folks, it's, you know, it's like the military families or even law enforcement families is what they go through for us to be able to do our jobs, you know, or our spouses be able to do their jobs. Yeah. So, man, it's, it's oh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, it's, uh, I've still got a sweater on. It's nice out, but I'm already getting goosebumps, man. This is like fucking A. Let's do this again. <laughs> yeah. 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 This if we could stuff. all go back a few years, right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. we're all living vicariously through the young people that are out there doing it now. That, well, and we're living true. vicariously through stories like yours going, man, you know, just, you just, hey, but I got to tell you though, um, or I got to ask you though, it's more like um, when you cleaned up, you have a different look to you now, and, and you men. I want <laughs> because we were joking about here when we started. Because you know, Murph's follically challenged. I'm blessed, and I was thinking, <laughs> follically challenged. Follically challenged you know, and you, but it's like, but you got a chrome dome there. But you said that was by choice, and part of this was because of this freaking investigation and the long hair, right? I yeah, I had so I had a long. You know, I was in L.A. I had a long hair, ponytail, the whole nine yards. Um, and then I, it cut my hair, but then when I was doing this case, I was like, you know what, I'm going to shave my head and, and have a long goatee. And I had a long goatee. Um, but, uh, I, I kind of liked the whole shaved head thing. It was, it was so much easier than having hair. And so I've never gone back to, I, so I sh- still shave my head every day. Um, and yeah, so I'm glad I, uh, I didn't go back. I did get rid of, I did keep the long goatee for a bit. Uh, and I remember the director of ATF, uh, when they were promoting me to be ASIC, I think it was. And he's like, you know, it's, it's probably gotta time go. to let that yeah. goatee go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I did, I, uh, we had a little trimming off ceremony and that was, that. <laughs> well, the main thing with the hair, as long as mama's happy, life's good. Yeah, that is it. Cause that if she it. ain't happy, you ain't happy. <laughs> yeah, um, that is the truth. Hey, well, let's, let's close out by this because when we started the show, we talked about, um, where you work now and we, we're keeping that under wraps, but, um, we had somebody in common and I texted him while we were talking and it's like such a small world, you know, but, but I mean, kind of the, you don't have to worry about a lot of the same stuff now. Right. Cause I know who you work for. He's not the site. He's not a psycho. That's one good thing in your favor. He's not a psycho dude. Um, but I mean, paper cuts may be your biggest danger, but tell us kind of some of the work you're doing now, you know, how's life, when did you punch out and uh, tell us what life is like now? Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, I, I punched out a couple of years back and, um, and I don't, you know, you know, the, the, the saying, um, you know, I don't miss the circus, but I, I miss, you know, some of the clowns and, and that's true. Uh, but I'm fortunate that I work with a bunch of, um, former law enforcement guys and I still work with a lot of the agencies that I worked with when I was still with ATF to include ATF. And, um, and I enjoy that work. It's different than what I was doing. Uh, but let's face it, you know, when you're at the assistant director, you're not on the street anymore. And that's, you know, uh, that, that's the, the part that I loved. And, and I said at the beginning of the show is when the game's over for me and, and I'm like going into like quasi retirement, I'm going to go work for some DA somewhere part time, 10 bucks an hour, just doing investigations. Cause it's truly what I love doing. Yeah. You know, when you sit around and hear these stories and you still get excited about it, we all know we chose the right career path. Yeah, no, I well, agree. And let's kind of close out with this, though, too, because I want to ask just about life. Um, we've been very circumspect about not mentioning the area of the country you live in, you know, or what you're doing or where you're at. Um, how real is the threat to you still to this day? 
you know, it's there. They they put two contracts out on me when I came out, um, and and actively try to 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 um, make one of those happen. Um, but you know, it's it's like anything. You know, I, I take precautions. And, and ATF still monitors my whereabouts and what I do very very closely. So, um, you know, I uh, yeah, I don't I don't worry about it. I live my life, you know, every day, and you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but some of the people you work with, they don't walk to coffee with you, do they? <laughs> they that, is, you can... that is a fact. <laughs> the, the, the few that know, and, and you know, or not the few, there's a bunch that know, but there are a few that will not walk to coffee or lunch with me. Um, they, <laughs> we'll meet you about, there. Yeah. yeah, they're worried about being part of a drive-by. Uh, it's funny. I got to tell this because when I was still in Northern Virginia there, <laughs> one, one neighbor in particular, when uh, you know when Narcos came out, we had a big viewing in the backyard, big barbecue. All the neighborhood came over, and and you know afterwards, I'm answering questions, and he's and he he's the biggest guy in the neighborhood. He looks at and he's like, "Hey, uh, so should we be concerned because you're our neighbor, and somebody's going to come and get you, and maybe mistake us for you?" <laughs> but I he was that, serious. <laughs> I'm telling you, I get that all the time. Like, hey, should I be concerned about what I'm like? I met you 10 minutes ago. Like, no, you shouldn't be concerned. Like they don't go kill the, 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 the guy who met the, the biker 10 years later for five minutes. You know, it's oh, like, geez. and spoiler alert, everybody, Pablo's dead. There's nothing to worry about from Pablo. And I don't think most of the other people, Popeye, you know, the, if you watch Narcos, I'm sorry, I just ruined the ending for you. So, uh, oh, hey, look, great. Great look, show. man, this is great. We got to have you back because this, there was not enough time. We went about 30 minutes past. Even Murph was, we try to stay to a clock, you know, as much mm-hmm. as possible. But I, he, he texted me, he said, I said, hey, look, this is too good. Let's just keep yeah. going, you know, so. And there's nah, just so much, it. I mean, for our listeners, you got to get this book. It's uh, Riding with Evil. And where'd that name come from? Uh, so just quick side story. Uh, so my middle daughter, um, is a writer and, and, uh, was an English communications major in college. And so I, the book was originally named slam after my club name and the publisher didn't like it. Uh, they're like, Oh, it, it, you know, it, if you Google it, it comes up to like wrestling and they're like, that's, that's no good. And so they gave me like 10 names to pick from. They all sucked. Um, and so I was talking to my daughter and, um, so she came up with that name and everybody loved it. And, um, so that's how we landed on it. So my, my daughter, Shannon named the book. I love it. So, riding with evil, taking down the notorious pagan motorcycle gang. Do you have a website where people can buy this or go to Amazon? Where, where will we find it's it? It's on Amazon, and HarperCollins is the um, the uh, publisher book producer. So, yeah, the publisher. Yeah. So, you so can, we'll have a link to it. Yeah. We'll put you on. We'll yeah. feature you on our book page. We'll list it there. People, you know, we'll have a link to it. Uh, we'll make it easy to find. So easy that even an FBI agent could order the book. That's how easy <laughs> this is. Second joke. <laughs> Or Greg C. could probably find it. I don't know if he could read it or not. You might have to help him with that, Ken. <laughs> they do have an audio version for him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, a, and a coloring book with uh, big, you know, big crayons. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, look, we got to, we unfortunately got to bring this to a close, but we got to do this again. So we'll have to dive into a couple other stories. But as we end this, this is me saluting you. Thanks, guys. I Ken, appreciate you, you did the Lord's work, you've man. Done. Been a, it's been you. a true honor it. having you on here, Kim. And you're a true American patriot. So, ready to sacrifice your whole your life and uh and I'm, you know your wife still may uh, take you out before this is all over yeah and, yeah, and how no. you did not crap your pants is something we're gonna have to talk to one of our previous guests about because he needs to learn a lesson uh, all right we don't you guys go anywhere everybody else stay tuned for the debrief What, what 
you're right. Not only what was this guy thinking, what were you smoking? Were you drug tested? I mean, what the hell were you doing, Ken Croak? Oh, my and God. Not only that, but the, like when he got patched or, you know, got thrown the shirt with the pagan colors on there, mm-hmm. he thought he was going to be whacked. Yeah. He thought, this is it. There's that plate glass window. I'm going out that front window. They're going to find me outside, not inside. Can you, I mean, imagine the stones of steel you had to have to stay in that room and not do something to protect your life. I, I, no, I can't. I mean, I work short-term undercover, and that usually involved a meeting for an hour or two, and then you move on. But uh, I can't imagine doing this for two years like Ken did. True American ha- patriot, a man who knows how to focus on a mission and get the job done. But the real heroes in this thing, in my opinion, are his family, his wife and daughters. You know, they lost dad. They lost the husband there for a couple of years. There's always concern that uh, they're going to, you know, when you're in deep cover like that, for extended period of time, there's always concern that you might start feeling sympathetic for the people that you're investigating. But Ken didn't do that, man. He kept his focus. Uh, just imagine if you were on his soccer team. You were a parent that his kids were on the same soccer team. Here he comes rolling up. It's like, baby, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, but no. You're going the to better part team. was the girl, one of his daughters who had a boyfriend, lasted <laughs> like one date. Hey, Howard, what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and as the father of daughters, maybe that's not such a bad idea after all. <laughs> Ken does rent out on weekends to uh, do father-daughter introductions, you know, to boyfriends. Uh, he puts on his biker gear and goes out, yeah. and that's his side business now. So, no, no. He actually, and the funny part, too, is we got to talking. We shared somebody in common that we used to work with, uh, and I used to work with years ago, is now this guy's boss. Mm-hmm. And such a small world. So, anyway, but, I mean, again, you got to go get his book, Writing with Evil. It's going to be listed on our website. Um, what a great guy, what a great story. And uh, I'm surprised you were able to read it, Murph. Did Connie read it to you or did you actually do all of this yourself? Well, he does have pictures in there. So I looked at the pictures, pictures a lot. And a lot of good pictures too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> if you guys enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. It's magic. We don't know what it is. It's David Blaine, David Copperfield. And, and go speaking to David Blaine, just go to YouTube and look up David Blaine, Harrison Ford, magic trick. That one will blow your mind. Anyway, that's how blowing, mind-blowing our, these episodes are. Head on over to uh, Game of Crimes podcast for, for, more, for more, I can't get it out, for more information about the show, including the link to Ken's book. you got to go look that up. We're at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram. Also, Game of Crimes fan page. Just head on over there. Hit up our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato. Answer a couple questions. Just get close. Just get into the inner sanctum. That's where we share additional information mm-hmm. that doesn't make it out onto the podcast. Uh, and also, guess what? what? Patreon. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We just got through, like I said, recording episodes. It, it was a couple of weird ones, uh, stories this month, but we have a lot of good stuff. We have more content, I think, officially on Patreon than we do on our free podcast site, and it is worth it. Absolutely. And just one more time, Ken, thank you for coming on here. Thank you for what you've done for our country, brother. It was an honor to have you on Game of Crimes. This is us saluting you, sir. That Nobody can see this, but thank you for being a great American hero. Well, hey, everybody else, we thank you guys for giving us your time to share with us these great stories like this. Tell one, share one, tell a friend, let everybody know. You heard it here first on the original, unadulterated, undercover, fully patched infiltration of the Pagans Motorcycle Gang version of Game of Crimes. Game of Crimes.